Well, like I said already, we just wrapped up a series last Sunday. Uh, our series was This Is Your Grandma's Church, and uh, this week is kind of uh, um, a standalone, and then next week we'll get into our summer series. And so in these standalones, uh, what I like to do is I like to revisit my notepad uh, that has all of my future sermon ideas. I'll probably never get to preach all of those, um, but one of them that I've been thinking about really for a couple of years now is this, a city to dwell in, a city to dwell in. And it's based off of uh, Psalm 107. If you've never read Psalm 107, uh, it's a beautiful psalm. In fact, it's a psalm that I often point people to in counseling sessions, or it's a psalm that I point people to in the midst of difficulty and uh, when life is hard. And I I do that because it's a psalm that meant a lot to me uh, in in the lowest season of my life. And I have a journal. I talk about this often. I have a journal that uh, I went to every morning uh, during a really hard season And it was Psalm 107 and that journal and, of course, the presence of the Lord uh, that I look back and say, that's what got me through that season. And it was particularly Psalm 107.9, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. That's a powerful verse. He, the Lord, satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul. He fills with good things. The early part of Psalm 107 verses uh, 1, it starts off as like a declaration of, uh, you know, let the redeemed the Lord praise the Lord for his steadfast love. But then as it gets into verses 2 and 3 and 4, and then it repeats this in the different stanzas throughout Psalm 107, there's kind of like a flow, and it talks about remembering God's faithfulness, but then talking about the trouble that we often find ourselves in in life. And so uh, this morning, if you're new around here, uh, or, or if you've ever, anyone, new or old, uh, if you've ever found yourself in trouble, uh, Psalm 107 is a great psalm to study. It's a psalm that speaks to us in those dark or hard or low moments. Uh, and it's a psalm that kind of picks us back up by reminding us of God's incredible faithfulness. And so uh, early on uh, in the stanzas, it talks about what particular thing led them to their trouble. The opening one is kind of general. It just says uh, they were down. uh, Life was hard. They were in the the, the, uh, parched places, right, the scorched earth. And in there, they were crying out to the Lord. These are those moments in life when you really are, you're crying out to God, you're asking questions like, where are you, or why aren't you, or why is this happening, or God, I don't understand this, what's going to happen next? And then you get to Psalm 107.9, and it says, he will satisfy the longing soul, he will fill it with good things, but how? See, one of the questions that we always have to ask ourselves as Christ followers, uh, it's not just will God do it, but it's also understanding how does he do it? How does he satisfy the longing soul? For it's one thing to look at somebody and say, you know what? God will satisfy your longing soul. And it's a true statement. It's a helpful statement because it lifts us up. But can we look into the scriptures and see how does he satisfy the longing soul? Because if we can understand how he satisfies the longing soul, so then when we're counseling people or when we're counseling ourselves, we can look and we go, okay, no, this is how he does it. And so if I walk like this, then I know it will end up in verse nine. He will satisfy my longing soul. He will fill my life 
with good things? The answer to that question is found in Psalm 107.7. This is how he satisfies the longing soul. And yes, it is good to know the end result. The soul will be satisfied in Christ. But how will we get there? Well, Psalm 107 says it this way. He said, he led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. He led them by a straight way. And so they reached a city to dwell in, a city to dwell in. We see two things here. The first thing we see is this, that when God leads us, he's going to lead us through a straight path, a straight way. The second thing we're going to see is that he's going to lead us to a city, a people, a place, a group of people around us. That's how he's going to lead us. And so how will he end up satisfying the soul? Uh, two things that we're seeing here. One, that which we take in, that which we consume, right? The, the, the path there, or I'm sorry, the phrase there, lead to a straight way. Uh, there's all of these connections all over the scripture. And what we understand this to mean, to lead to the straight way, is to be informed properly of that which is good and holy and righteous and true. So we're going to follow the good path, the right path path, right? And as we follow it, the second thing that it's going to do is it's going to lead us to a city, to a people that we have. And I love that God knows us. He's saying, yes, I'm going to give you all of the truth you need. I'm going to show you the path, the right path to walk. But he also knows that we need a city, that we need people, that we need uh, those around us who are going to walk through seasons of life with us. I, I, I share about this sermon often, uh, but uh, years ago now, I preached a series called, Does God Want Us to Be Happy? And uh, one of the results, uh, the answer is yes, by the way, uh, one of the uh, ways at the end that God does that, uh, that he fills our hearts with joy, is by putting the right people around us. I'm doing a wedding today after, uh, after service, and uh, one of the things I always am reminded of when I do weddings is that the first problem in the scriptures was what? Not sin, loneliness. That was the first problem in the scriptures. And how did God solve it? He didn't look at Adam and say, be more perfect, because Adam already was at that point. No sin had entered in. He didn't say, you just need to worship me more. Adam, no, what did he do? He gave him a person. Give him a person, Eve, right, in that story. Part of how God satisfies our longing soul. It's not, he fills us with truth, yes, but then he leads us to a city, to a city. Now, this morning, uh, the, the idea of our church and the body and the family that we have here uh, would be like an appropriate replacement for the word city, right? That this is our city. This is, uh, this is the group or the family that God has given us. Uh, of course, back then, the metaphor of city was what? Uh, that in the city, there was provision. Uh, in the city, there was protection. And if you just made it to the city, your chances of survival went through the roof, right? If you were out in the, uh, in the scorched places where there was no provision, there was no water, where there was no protection, your chance of survival went down. Well, I don't think much has changed. If we get to the people, the right people, if we allow those right people to be put into our lives, our chances of survival, our chances of joy, our chances of uh, the soul being satisfied increases. So this morning, I, I hope to compel you to, uh, to both walk the right way, to fill your life and to build your life on God's truth, but also to find your city to dwell in, to find your city to dwell in. Now, 
Maybe more than any time in my life, uh, these two things are pretty obvious, right? That one, it matters where you get your information, okay? And so we see this all over the place, right? New news sources pop up over here, and they're like, well, I don't like them anymore. I don't, you can't trust anything they say. Uh, and, and so where you get your information matters, right? And, and then the second thing that we know that is um, as obvious now as it's ever been, uh, at least in my life, is where you live matters. Where you live matters. And, and where you live will uh, ultimately affect, right, your life around you. And so in our country, it's one thing to live in Florida. It's another thing to live in California, right? Okay. Or heaven and hell. Just kidding. Okay. No, no, where you live matters. It matters. And uh, and the city in which you dwell in will affect your life. It'll affect your perspective. It will also affect uh, uh, what you can experience and what you can do. Uh, And so, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, right? God knew this a long time ago. What information you take in, what path you walk, right, and where you live matters immensely. It's important. Now, the first thing uh, that we're encouraged here, it says that he, the Lord, will lead them by a straight way. Well, what does it mean to be led by a straight way? What it means is to, uh, to, to follow the truth of God's word and for that to be uh, the foundation and the path that you walk. Jesus said it this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The straight way is another way of saying uh, that we will be led to Christ and then follow Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, in this idea of Christ being the way, the truth, and the life, and then us kind of following the straight way, as we're following that path, we see that we are, uh, we are brought up or formed in Christ. The idea there of being led by the straight way, it's like you're walking down the right path. You're headed in the right direction, right? And you say, well, how do I know, by the way? Part of the way you know is, uh, is the word of God. Psalm 119, 105 uh, teaches us that his word, right, is a, is a light unto our feet, right? Uh, and so we just follow his word, and it's leading us down this path. But Christ also is the word, so we're walking down this path. We're following Christ, but as we're following him, we're being formed. Uh, I've always been... Um, I guess like caught up in, in, in what Jesus says in Mark chapter one, when he says to the disciples, uh, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. He says, I will make you. You're not right now. You're not where I want you to be. Step one is to follow me, but then walk with me. And along the way, I will make you or I will form you. This is the idea uh, today we call this discipleship, right? This idea that I'm going, to, I'm going to follow after Christ. And as I'm following after Christ, I'm being made and I'm being formed. Now, we're all at different places in this journey. You might be here this morning and you haven't actually decided yet to hop onto the right path. You're still following your perspective. You're still following the world's perspective. And step one is get off of that path and get onto the right path. The wrong path leads to destruction and despair. The right path leads to the satisfied soul. The first step then is to follow Christ, to get on the right path. But then as you're walking on the path, you're going to be formed or you're going to be made. Now, uh, over the last couple of months, 
Uh, really, years now, I guess. There are different terms that we have used uh, to describe this forming or this making. Uh, probably the most common word we use today is discipleship, this continuous process of gospel transformation where we look more like Christ, uh, that we put ourselves in situations where we're being formed and made. I'm being more and more like Christ. Um, that's why the true Christian life, you don't get to retire from that. You don't graduate, right? You don't say like, okay, I'm done, and, and I've been fully formed and fully made. Uh, if you weren't here last week, I talked about the practice of repentance uh, and, and mentioned how Martin Luther uh, wrote in the first of his 95 thesis that when Christ said repent, what he meant was that the entire Christian life is a life of repentance, uh, that we are constantly in this process of being transformed by the gospel, being formed and made by him. Another term that we have used to describe this process is uh, counseling. I talked about that a couple of weeks ago, uh, that we're going to uh, be counseled through the word of God so that our heart is formed through God's word. And we're going to uh, allow people to speak into our lives through his word. We have seven values around here as a church. Uh, the partnership track, by the way, it helps us. Um, we explain our values in that. And so if you're new around here, I'm going to kind of talk about it, some of our values today just kind of naturally fit in. And one of our values is this, we believe the Bible. And I always say when I talk about this value that you shouldn't have to say that in a church, um, but sadly, it's like a differentiator right now amongst churches, right? Like, just to clarify, we believe the Bible, right? Um, and when we say we believe the Bible, we, we, we mean we believe all of it, right? It's why I start every sermon off with the prayer, it is as relevant today as the day that it was written, right? We believe the Bible. But when we say we believe the Bible, we're not just saying that we believe that it is factually accurate. We do believe that. We're also saying that when we believe the Bible, uh, that the Bible then and the word of God is going to be the central point of all that we do and teach. That it is also then going to be the way that we're transformed, that we are going to be transformed through the word of God. Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit's going to come in, and he's going to make the word come alive in us, and it's going to change us. Um, but we believe the Bible. We believe the Bible is adequate to inform us. We believe the Bible is adequate to teach us, right, and to change us. And we also, right, we don't buy into the modern lie that people can't change, Right? We don't fall into that lie. Why? Because the entire nature of the gospel <laughs> is that people can change, okay? And so if people couldn't change, I probably wouldn't be on this stage. I, well, I don't know why you're here, right? The gospel changes us. The gospel changes us through the word of God. Uh, another word that we have used uh, for this like straight way or this path of being formed, uh, we've used the word education, right? That true education and true discipleship are really very similar. It's the forming of the heart and the mind, and the soul, all of it coming together. Look what uh, the writer of Psalm 119 says. Uh, and Psalm 119 is, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of like the middle point of the Bible, right, as far as the word of God is laid out. Uh, and then it's a psalm all about the word of God. Uh, it says this, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. 
I love that phrase. I'll keep it to the end. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm going to keep your way, and we need to say this as well. I, I, I'm going to keep it to the end. Uh, even if along the way, uh, God, it seems like I'm following you and things aren't going the way that I want them to go, I will keep it to the end. God, I will keep your word uh, when culture changes. God, I will keep your way when my circumstances change. I will keep your way when I am following after you in the midst of the hard season. And the world is saying, no, do this or do that or try that method or try this way. No, I will keep your way, Lord, all the way to the end. And friend, that needs to be the commitment of your heart. That is, you are following the Lord. You will keep his ways to the very end. And there will be the ups and there will be the downs and life will throw its things at you. And every step of the way, you will keep the word of God to the very end. He says, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Sometimes we think of the idea of keeping God's law as just something that like is physical action, right? Oh, you did this, you didn't do that. But I like that the author there points us to the fact that even keeping the law of God, it's not just about physical action. It's not void of physical action, but it's deeper than just physical action. He says, I will keep it with my heart. I will, uh, and this is in part of what I talked about last week in repentance. Uh, sometimes we think about repentance, we're like, well, I didn't actually do anything bad. Well, did you think it? Was it in there? No, true biblical repentance goes beyond just my actions and goes into my heart. It says, God, I'm not, just, I'm not repenting because I said the thing. I'm repenting because I wanted to say the thing. And God, I want to get deeper. And I want you to change me at the heart level. He says, now here's the connection here to Psalm 107. He says, lead me in the path or the way of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. By the way, some of you who, who you would say you have not yet arrived at Psalm 107.9, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Part of the reason why you have not arrived there yet is perhaps because your eyes are looking at worthless things. I'm always struck by that verse in 1 Samuel uh, where the prophet looks and he goes, why are you pursuing that which is empty and will not profit? And we, sometimes we walk down the same path, the same path, the same path. It's the wrong path. And we get to different check marks along the path and we realize that every check mark along the wrong path has the same result. It does not satisfy it is empty. And he says, uh, incline my heart to your testimonies, not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Give me life in your way, your path. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. And I know the, the Old Testament author is saying, confirm to me your promise. And here uh, on the other side of the cross, um, we can say, confirm to me your promise. But we also know he did confirm to us his promise on the cross. And on the cross, all of the promises of God are now yes and amen, right? All on the cross, it is the constant reminder, right, that God keeps his promises. He says, turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts in your righteousness. Give me life, Lord, in your righteousness, in your word. As I follow your path, give me life. I will build my life, the author is saying here, on the instruction of the Lord. There's a, a verse in, I believe it's 1 Thessalonians. I could be wrong. It might be 1 Corinthians. And it says that bad company corrupts good character. 
And I want to, like, not add to the scripture. Okay, I'm not doing that. Um, But I want to give an idea that I think is similar, and it is this, that bad information, bad input corrupts a good intention and a good heart. And part of what we need as followers of Christ when we're following the right way is to make sure that we are always getting that which is forming us. And that which informs us, by the way, is often that which forms us. Is that not true? I mean, even talk to people, use something as, uh, as, as easy as politics, right? If you say, hey, where do you get your information from, right? That will typically form your opinion, right? That which informs us is that which forms us. And so uh, what this is part saying is that which needs to inform us always is the truth of God's word. Because if that is the thing that is informing us the most, then through the power of the Holy Spirit, that is the thing that will form us the most. And so now then, we are walking on this straight path. It is the first indicator in Psalm 107. How do you move out of the dry season? How do you move through the difficult season? The first thing you do is you are formed by the right things. You are now walking on the right path. You are following the word of God. This is the first, um, first action step, by the way, is this. Uh, you might be walking right now, and you think you're walking on the straight way, uh, but, but one check mark along the way should be this question. Am I blatantly ignoring any of God's instructions? Because maybe you are walking on the right path where you're like, Stephen, the soul, I still feel restless. I still feel dissatisfied. I still feel something. One of the great first questions is, am I blatantly ignoring anything that God has called me to? Okay, let's take care of that. Now keep walking down the path. That's the first thing. Now, as you're walking down this path and as you're following uh, the Lord and as he is filling uh, your heart with truth and these types of things, where is God naturally going to lead you? Well, Psalm 107.7 says this. He, he led them along the straight path and it leads to where? A city to dwell in. He says, I'm going to take you to a city. I'm going to take you to a place of protection. I'm going to take you to um, a place of preserving you and providing for you. And, uh, and that's going to be a city. Uh, so years ago, most of you won't even know this, uh, but I get the question sometimes because people are like, I saw this. And, and then and, uh, years ago, uh, our, our church name was Redemption City Church. And uh, for a lot of different reasons, we ended up changing the name. Uh, one of the reasons was is because people kept doing announcements and saying city too quickly, and it came out inappropriate, okay? You can figure that out later. All right. So, uh, and, and another reason is when we, we eventually moved here to Monclova, and we were like, well, like, Redemption Suburban Church doesn't sound very cool, right? And so, like, let's just drop it. We'll just be Redemption Church. But, but it's interesting because I was the person who named it. So, like, when we named the church a long time ago, uh, the idea was this, uh, Redemption City Church, that we were like this church for the city, that we were this church and we were going to, like, bring the gospel to the city and we were going to change the city and we are going to redeem the city and all of those types of things. And that's not a bad goal. And we still want to bring the, uh, the, the, the gospel to our city. But what's been interesting uh, over the last five to six years is, is that uh, instead of saying, like, hey, we want to be this church that goes and takes on the city, uh, what God has formed instead is like we have become almost like a city unto ourselves. 
And it's a very different perspective. And what happened, and this typically, uh, this kind of happened uh, during COVID when we bought the building, uh, those types of things, is that what God did is he gave us a city center here in uh, a building on 20 acres and a field, right, out in Monclova. And it was funny because uh, when I initially drove by this building, I said, well, no one's ever going to drive out to the country to go to church. Okay, boy, was I wrong, right? Amen. Love it when I'm wrong. And, uh, and, and instead, what God was saying is like, no, 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 I know exactly how I'm going to be moving next, okay? And so, uh, and so uh, go out there and dwell there. And instead of being this, uh, hey, we're going to go out and take the city, what God has done instead is he said, you be the city dwelling place, and I'll send people to you who are seeking refuge and healing and hope. And that's what God has formed. Isn't it beautiful? That God said, <laughs> instead of like being this offensive weapon, right, just let people come find you. And when they do, give them a city to dwell in. And that having a city to dwell in is one of the amazing, beautiful ways that God satisfies the longing soul. And the city to dwell in, uh, it, it needs to have at least two things present, okay? I could have a hundred, right? Um, but we'll just pick two this morning. One of the things that the city needs uh, is it needs robust relationships in the city. And um, I, I'm going to give a label of what those types of relationships need to be. Uh, they need to be multi-generational, mutually beneficial family-esque, Christ-forming relationships. Did you get all that? I'll start at the top. They need to be multi-generational, mutually beneficial, family-esque, Christ-forming relationships. Those are the type of relationships that we need in the city. And to have a city to dwell in is when you have, uh, and the beauty of a city, right, when you just take the idea of it, is that it is made up of all different sorts of people. And for uh, redemption, in, uh, in, essence, in essence, to be a city needs to be made up of all different kinds of people. That's why one of our stated values, right, in the values again, uh, one of our stated values is that we are a multi-generational and post-denominational church. That's one of our values. Why? So that we would be made up of all different sorts of people. Because in a city, you should have all different sorts of people. We're multi-generational intentionally, right? Uh, and by intentionally, I mean simply that we desired it and then God made it. Because if we would have intentionally tried to be a multi-generational church, we probably would have totally blown it right? If we would have said, okay, let's do this because that'll attract the old people, and let's do this because that'll attract the young people, right? Uh, it probably would have just blown up in our faces. But instead, we just said, let's just be who God called us to be, and then God sent all of you old people. Amen? Okay. <laughs> and I allow you to self-identify as old, okay? It's the only self-identification we allow here. Okay, all right. So form, no, no, form a city. Multi-generational. Uh, what is it? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 32.7 says this. Remember the days of old. The ironic point of that statement, by the way, is that this, like, if you're young, you can't remember the days of old. Don't you love it when a 22-year-old is like, when I was a kid? Like, that was like four seconds ago, okay? 
Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you. Your elders, and they will tell you. There's an obvious implication in this text. It's a multi-generational environment. There wouldn't be fathers. There wouldn't be elders. There wouldn't be anyone to ask about the days of old if they were not young. And so the obvious implication of this text, then, is that there are generations that are gathered together. And we're grateful that God has given that to us. And part of the city that we need to dwell in, friends, is a multi-generational experience. Is, uh, and part of the way God satisfies the longing soul is that he gives us the city. He gives us the city of multiple generations to speak into our lives. And some of us have that naturally built into our family structures. Others of us don't. And when we come into the city, then we find it. One of the ways all of us can participate in this is uh, what I'll call like adoptive families. Like become the adoptive grandpa or grandma. Become the adoptive uh, grandparent or, or grandchild. Uh, come the adoptive aunt or uncle, uh, um, you know, brother or sister, whatever the relationship might be. Uh, because when we operate in that way, then we are the city and we are participating with each other uh, in the satisfying of the longing soul. And part of what our soul longs for is that kind of multi-generational makeup in our lives where we have those people older and younger and peers that we journey through life with. Look at um, uh, Dave. So that's the first thing, kind of that friendship idea of it. Uh, but then look at uh, this verse in First Chronicles. This verse has always, uh, I've always gone back to it. And it's talking near the end of David's reign. And it talks about the different people that David had in his life. Jonathan, uh, in First Chronicles 27, I'm going to read 32 through 34, said, Jonathan, who was David's uncle, was a counselor. He was a man of understanding and a scribe. He and Jehiel, the son of Hakamini, attended the king's sons. Ahithophel was the king's counselor. Uh, and Hushai the archite, I get, get this, was the king's friend. Isn't that incredible? In the writing of the word of God, they're like, okay, let's put all of David's uh, important people in his life. They're like, counselor, advisor, a guard, friend. Friend. Let, let's write that in there. That was David's friend. Ahithophel was succeeded by Jehoiada, the son of Benaiah, and Abiathar Job was commander of the king's army. And it's listing through the city that David had around him. And David faced some hard times. David faced them. He wrote uh, some of the psalms we're looking at this morning. And when David faced that, how could he face it? It wasn't just that he knew the straight way of the Lord. He did, yes. But it was also that he had a city around him. I mean, we talked to last week that it was the prophet Nathan who stirred David up out of his sin and called him to repentance. We need those kind of friends. David went on to live a long life after that moment. And we also, I pointed out what? That near the end of David's life, 20-something years later, when there's a problem in the kingdom, who does David turn to? Nathan the prophet. So Nathan wasn't just some guy who blew into David's life and was like, hey, you're sinning and you're horrible and I hate you. No, he was somebody who then actually walked with David over the next 20-something years of his life and who David turned to 20-something years later to secure the kingdom for Solomon, right? These are the types of relationships, the type of city relationships that we need that are multi-generational, yes, but they're also mutually beneficial, right? It's not just take, 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 but there's a, uh, there, there's a mutual beneficial nature to them. They also need to be family-esque. All throughout the scriptures, I could have picked any of a number of verses in the New Testament, but the number one way that Christians are described towards one another is through familiar relationship. Brother and sister, 
right? Uh, in First John, it talks about uh, like almost like fathers and kind of grandfathers or grandchildren in the faith through the different terms that John uses when he's writing. And so we need these multi-generational family style, but also Christ forming, that the point of them is not just to have somebody in your corner. That's part of it. The point is not also uh, um, just to like have friends. That's important, right? It's listed in the scriptures there, uh, but also that it is Christ forming, that we are walking on the straight way together, that we are existing in the city, and the city is going to elevate Christ, and so we are going to help form Christ in each other. How? Through all of the different things we've talked about, uh, right? Uh, through proper education, right? Through uh, biblical counseling. And, uh, and this is why uh, I've hit this a few times. I'm going to hit it one more time. Uh, we, we are launching this biblical counseling course next Wednesday. Uh, and this is not anyone can take it and anyone and everyone can and should. But in particular, those of you who are a little bit older, particularly uh, I'm thinking empty nester married couples who are like, I don't know what to do next. I want to use my gifts. Like, I will greet, but like, is there something more for me? Like that kind of thing. This is it. Okay. And the point of it is to get trained up so you can do what? So you can then pour in to younger married couples. So you can pour in to younger generations, right? Uh, So you can be trained a little bit, use the wisdom that God has given you through the years and create this city family thing that we all need to result in a satisfied soul. He gives us a city to dwell in. Now, I want to end here. And just in case you're new, when I say I want to end here, that doesn't mean we're almost done. Okay. <laughs> that just means <laughs> Antonio said amen. Now, mm. no, that just means I'm on my last point. <laughs> yeah, I got plenty of time. All right. What's the city going to accomplish together? He, he leads us on the right way, and so we've got to build our lives and our perspective on the truth of God's word. He's going to lead us into a city of mutually beneficial, multi-generational family as Christ-forming relationships. And then what are we going to do when we're all together in the city? Well, Isaiah 58 lays out a beautiful mission statement for the city. And if I was running for mayor of, like, Portland or Seattle... I would definitely not win, but this is the verse I would put on my marketing materials before I got beat up. Isaiah 58, 11 through 12, and the Lord will guide you continually. He will satisfy your desire in scorched places. You see the language connection there to Psalm 107? And by the way, this is why you just keep reading the Bible, because these little things will go off. Well, you'll be reading one passage one day, and then you'll have read that previous passage the next week, and you'll make a brand new connection. And there are unlimited amounts of these connections in the 30,000-something verses in the Bible. He says, and the Lord will guide you continually. He will satisfy your desire in scorched places. He will make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. 
He's talking about the city here now that has been formed. And he's talking about the city that has been formed in the midst of the scorched places or in the midst of the desert. You use the metaphor that you want to use. But he's saying in the midst of all of that, when other things seem dry, or let's just use more modern language, when the world seems a little bit crazy, when we're looking out at the world and we're going, wow, how did we end up here? Uh, when we're seeing madness uh, pursue madness, okay? When we're seeing housewives who call themselves Christ have to boycott Target, okay? We know we've reached new madness when this has happened, okay? And uh, that, that has gone that far in the midst of those seasons, right, what God is saying is if you form this city that follows uh, the, the right path, uh, then what will happen is even when that is crazy out there, you will be like a watered garden in here. He says, that's dying, but you'll be thriving. They're searching more than they ever have before. And we know that. The world is searching more than it ever has before. But he's saying, if you find yourself in the city, then I, in the city in which you're supposed to dwell in, then I will satisfy your soul. I will make truth clearer and clearer to you. And you will flourish in the season where everything else is dwindling. Now, we just took this a step farther, right, when we literally planted a garden as a reflection of this. That's what our whole Mayflower project is about, right, as a church, that we're taking this 20 acres that God has given us, this little city out here that God has given us, this, this little uh, dwelling place, right, and, and we're saying, well, what would a full city have, right, if we're going to be the city in which people are going to dwell in, well, it would be able to feed one another, so, right, so we, we said, let's start a garden, uh, and then after that, we'll start a farm, and, and these are initial steps that are like these physical pictures of a spiritual reality. We have to be able to feed each other spiritually. And so we're going to show a picture of feeding each other um, physically, right? Through whatever is, you know, planted and raised up in the garden, right? And, and it'll be like every time you go and you're like, man, I'm eating a redemption cucumber right now or whatever it is, okay? Um, should be this reminder, yes, that physical food is important, but man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. It is a picture of the city, the, uh, the city that he is giving us. And he's saying, I will make your city, this city, God's city, flourish when the world looks like it's dwindling. He says this then. He says, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. This is fun. Friends, this is saying that we have no less of a calling than to be people who rebuild that which has been lost and taken and stolen. This is an incredible mission. And at some point, yes, it might mean that we have to leave the city and uh, send people out to other parts of the city, right? Or whatever that might look like uh, so that we can go and we can bring city, what God has done in our city, elsewhere. If people can't drive this far, whatever it might be. Um, but what it's saying is this, that we have been given a call, right, to rebuild that which has been lost and taken, and, and we, we know this. We can look out and we can already see that which has been uh, lost and taken. But uh, when we look from God's perspective, God is looking out there and he's seeing a bunch of people whose souls aren't satisfied, a bunch of people who are dwindling away in the scorched places of walking down the wrong path of the way of the world, the perspective of the world, the empty philosophies of the world, right? And we see literally the physical depiction of this in actual cities in our nation that are 
rampant with crime and despair and depression and all of these things. And what God is saying is, I will build a city. And then as I build the city, that city then has the mission of rebuilding for others that which has been lost. He says, and as you do that, here's what will happen. You will raise up the foundations of many generations. You will build something that other generations will stand on so that in the future, there are still cities to dwell in for people who are in the parched places. See, friends, if we never built this city, then all of us wouldn't have had a place to go for our city to dwell in. And this then becomes a motivation for us to be about the building, right, of other cities so that God can send people to those cities so that their soul can be satisfied in him like ours was. He says, when you do that, it will affect generations and generations and generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach. And don't we know right now that the wall has been breached in our society? The wall has been breached. And um, every single sphere of society has aligned up against the truth of God's word. Retail, um, media, uh, government, all of it, education, it is all um, attacking the city, attacking the city, attacking the city. And what God is saying is become a city then that can repair the breach in the wall, repair the breach. That way the wall or the city can stand strong so other people can find what you found. That's our mission. And I can tell you this. Everything we're going to do this summer keeps that in mind. We are going to repair the breach. We're going to make sure there's no holes here. We're going to call things out that need to be called out so that way our city can continue to exist so other people can come in and find the same satisfaction. What is happening? Is there a, a raptor? What? That's incredible. I still don't even know what's happening. I, I, I totally lost. We had some birds that were getting caught into our roof. I thought like one of them came. Okay, we are expiring quickly. All right. Okay, that actually reminds me of my last point. One of the things we're going to do this summer, I announced this last week, uh, and by the way, everything we are doing this summer is all geared toward what I just talked about. Partnership track, we're forming the city. And the partnership track is how you get plugged in to be a part of city building. Counseling is how we're going to love each other and treat each other in the city. That's why we're doing that. I announced on uh, church night uh, last Sunday that we, for the second time in our church, we're going to do what we call church week. And so from July um, 17th, 18th, 19th, and 20th, that's four nights, uh, we're going to have church every night of the week for those four nights. And so we'll be right here at six o'clock. We're going to worship, we're going to preach, and our theme for that is generations, because we're going to talk about how we work together um, in the city across generations. And so get that on your calendar, July 17th through the 20th, four nights of church that we're going to have, and we're going to be praying for that in advance. Uh, If you're new around here, two years ago we did this. Um, but it was literally a Sunday morning, and I was like, man, we're having so much fun. We should do this again. 
And then we literally did it again for the next five days. Okay, so it was like that quick turnaround. Um, this time we're planning ahead a little bit, and we're going to pray it in advance. Okay, um, so we're, that's what we're doing. Here's another thing. Uh, this is my last point, and um, I didn't mean to end here, but, you know, things happen. Um, one other thing that we're going to do as a city this year, uh, and I, I talked about this on Sunday night as well, um, but... Part of what our city needs to do is to be a champion um, for the right path and the right way um, beyond just ourselves. And some of you are familiar with this. Some of you are not. Um, But I would say that our state, and when I say our state, I mean the state of Ohio, is up in uh, potentially, I think, the biggest battle for our state's soul that we have ever seen. And what is on the ballot in November is a constitutional amendment for the state of Ohio that, in effect, will legitimize uh, and legalize unfettered abortion access eventually to minors for generations. Okay? This is an absolute battleground. And I have told our staff And our elders, and as a team, we have decided that we will be unashamedly vocal about our opposition to this constitutional amendment. I do not care what it costs us. I do not care who leaves, okay? And so I am going to encourage, plead, and teach that we would all be vocal in this. When we think about, and I'm not saying to be a jerk, okay, but I, we will not be silent on this. And there's, a, there's an early battle in August, and I will explain this more later. I'm actually going to take an entire Sunday. Uh, I'm going to preach on, on um, protecting the unborn, okay? Um, and, and then we're going to call to action. And I also tell you that we're going to do everything we can as a church to encourage, inspire, motivate, whatever, other churches to get involved as well. Um, We're going to spend a little bit of money to do that. We're going to do whatever we can to see this evil stopped in November, okay? And so I'm asking you guys to join and to partner with us in that. You should be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you've been looking for a mission statement for this summer, if you've been looking for a new purpose, something to get you unlocked or excited again in life, what better than this? That you get to be a part of the city that God has created and to become the refuge then from the scorched places of the earth to invite other people in so that their soul can be satisfied in Christ. We've all got a role to play. We've all got something we can do. Let's pray. Father, thank you. From the bottom of my heart, Lord, Thank you for this city to dwell in. You are so good. And Father, I pray for those who are right now, they're they're in the city, but they don't feel in the city. They're here, but they still feel that longing. Father, first, if it's that they have not truly chosen the right path, they have not surrendered fully to Christ, that they would do that now. And then secondly, Lord, that we would get better and better as a church family as co-city dwellers, to look at each other, to serve each other, to invite each other into those types of relationships we talked about. And Father, thank you that you are so faithful that when we uphold your word and truth, when we surround ourselves with the proper city, how you just satisfy the longing soul. We are grateful. Make us great builders. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.